I'm Scott Abraham from ABC7 in Washington, D.C. You know who it is. Travis Thomas Experience. This is Eric Edholm of Yahoo Sports. This is Mitch Tischler. This is Al Galdi, and you're listening to The Big Douglas Show. All right, this is The Big Douglas Show. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Don't take a lot of time, but there's a whole lot for us. It is episode 165. It is Opposition Wednesday. And for that, we brought in Mark Ross from the NFL Network. Mark, how are you doing? Oh, excellent, excellent. How about yourself? Doing well. Uh, I, when I was looking at the book guest for the show today, uh, I stumbled across you. I did not realize, I mean, I, I know you, but I was not, did not realize 20 years uh, scouting uh, were VP of player evaluation at one point for the Giants. So I thought, who better to bring on than a guy that it took me knows kind of putting teams together, what we're looking at. I am, yeah, uh, thanks, I'm, thanks, I'm curious uh, from you kind of what goes in to um, – is uh, let's, let's do this. Is there anything more competitive, playing, coaching, or talent evaluating? That's a tough gig, talent evaluating, because the buck stops somewhere. Yeah, I mean, every great team, you got to have the players. And I, I say that all the time. You know, great coaches are only as good as the players that they have. And you see that over and over where, okay, you got a great quarterback, you're a great coach. You got a bad quarterback, you're a bad coach. So I always am prideful of the fact that I've been a part of uh, getting the talent for Super Bowl winning teams and even close to Super Bowl winning teams with my eight years with Philadelphia back in the day and you know, those years when we went to those NFC Championship games and the Super Bowl didn't, didn't quite close the deal, but being a part of two uh, organizations that really felt like we put, put together some, some outstanding teams and a lot of talent. So I'll always definitely side with, with the talent side of it. And, and great coaches can enhance talent and develop talent, but all great teams, no matter what level, no matter what sport, everybody's looking for the best talent that they can. What is the uh, competition like among scouts to, to get it right, to get the information so that, I mean, those guys are trying to, to get to a, a destination too. And you got to start somewhere. I'm curious to, if you could explain to the folks at home what that grind is like and what that competition is like. Well, it's not, it's really a friendly competition. And it's funny because uh, I used to travel a lot with some of my close friends from different teams and they, people would see us together with our, with our shirts on and different logos and say, you guys are hanging out, you know, what's going on. But you know, it's really, you can be friendly with guys, but, you're still competing obviously for the best players, but you're kind of evaluating them together. And then it's just as far as there's guys you trust that, you know, you can bounce ideas off of those ones you don't trust as much and you just don't kind of talk to them, but all the, all the scouts are kind of evaluating the same players and those days of the sleepers and things like that with such, you know, the social, with, the, with such, such media access and, and uh, avenues to scout players, it's just not really there anymore. It's just a matter of how much you like these guys and your ability to kind of maneuver in the draft to get the players that you want. And even after the draft with those free agents, uh, the college free agents that you're trying to sign. So all in all, it's just a a friendly competition. There's no animosity. There's a lot of great friends between the different teams and uh, almost like a co-op almost, but definitely every team is trying to secure the best sound for themselves. And obviously you don't want your rivals to get on this, especially. It's interesting. It feels like the two franchises, Washington and New York, kind of similar. They've got 
good defenses, a running game. They've got quarterbacks that maybe they're sold on Daniel Jones. I'm not sure that the league is sold on Daniel Jones. Both have young offensive lines. Is that how you see it? Where do you see this Giants team after one game? Well, this Giants team is the same as I've been evaluating them for years. And it's, as you mentioned, they're sold on Daniel Jones, and I never was. And the league definitely isn't sold on Daniel Jones, and they are just because more so the things that he does off the field than actually what they've seen on the field. And and that's the problem when you just don't evaluate what you have properly and you hope and, and, and wish for things to happen that have really not been shown. And that's what's going on with Daniel Jones. They're hoping and wishing and hoping and wishing where he really has not been that guy. He wasn't that guy in Duke. He wasn't that guy in high school. He hasn't been that guy in the NFL, but they keep hoping and wishing for the unforeseen. That being said, they, the defense, they thought they could rely on the defense this year. And last year, they kind of did a lot with smoke and mirrors, completely different than Washington, who's got big time players on that team. The Giants did it kind of with smoke and mirrors. And in the first game this year, they kind of got exposed where an off season of preparation and Pat Shermer was there who used to be the coach of the Giants. So he knew that personnel well and knew the scheme to kind of defeat that. And uh, I think you'll see that more so going forward. They've got a lot of injuries. Of course, Saquon Barkley and a big free agent signing Kenny Galladay, their their first round pick. Uh, Kadarius Toney was hurt. Kyle Rudolph, another free agent signing. So that's all been, you know, downhill for them. And then the offensive line has been a big, big issue opening game last year. And these kind of problems have consistently been there for the Giants over the last couple of years. So they've got to overcome a lot. And just mirroring it with Washington, as I mentioned, the defense, when you guys, I think, have some big-time playmakers on defense and offense. But, again, you might be hindered a little bit with the quarterback. The only difference is, you guys got a guy you brought off the street and you didn't take him with the sixth pick in the draft. So it's a little bit of different uh, situation going on there on that side. Mark, both teams also went retread for the general manager positions, uh, both franchises. Were you surprised by that? You said the retreads? Is that yeah, both of them went retread for general managers this go around. Well, not surprising because that's the NFL and that's what the NFL generally does. It's uh, some teams are very old school and they, they go for the familiar, they go for the comfortable, they go for the, Oh, this guy's done it. Okay. All right. But uh, you know, you need something innovative. You need something new. You need somebody with some fresh ideas and you see certain teams are doing that, especially on the coaching end of it. Some teams are doing it on the GM end of it, but Traditionally, the NFL does things like this where you just kind of just rotate guys and they go from team to team. And you see that with veteran players. You see that with veteran coaches. You see that with, with, with GMs of that nature. So do I think that's the best way to go about things? No, but I think those franchises look at it that kind of way, and that's just kind of standard operating procedure in the NFL. I, I got to admit, uh, I'm a Georgia homer, grew up Georgia fan. Uh, Andrew Thomas struggled and it surprised me. Has it surprised you? It has. I thought he would be a good player. You know, all kind of young guys have some struggles, but then you saw last year with Tristan Wirfs and Makai Becton and uh, Jedrick Willis, who, who were all rookie tackles who got picked after Andrew Thomas, who played really well. And I thought Andrew would be a good player. I did not think he would look this bad. I mean, he's, he looked, he, he's not looked good at all. He doesn't look strong. I thought he was a good athlete. He doesn't look particularly athletic. Um, he makes a lot of mistakes, and it's been you know, a little bit disappointing. And, you know, I definitely thought that 
he would be a good player. And it, it just sometimes you, you, you see the talent that, that you don't, you don't know they get in the wrong situation. You don't know what's going on with these guys or if something has happened between him from UGA to now or when he first got in the league or just it didn't develop quick enough or something happened with him. So uh, I know the Giants are, are particularly – they need him to play better and they need him to develop fast because it could get out of hand in a hurry, especially last week. Now you got Chase and, and Montez coming at him. So uh, it, there's, no, there's no rest for him. What have you thought? About this Joe Judge staff, uh, I was surprised that he brought in Garrett. When when we know Garrett well in the division, uh, I think like Washington fans were excited when he brought on Jason Garrett. Uh, what? Are we, uh, tell me what, what's going on there with the coaching staff. Well, it, it kind of gets back to what you said, Doug, about the GM. It's the familiarity, and and Jason Garrett played for the Giants, and I know he was beloved by the ownership and there with the Giants. So I think that's the major reason why he was brought back. Maybe not particularly Joe Judge's decision, but a, a group decision you know, kind of spearheaded by the ownership to bring Jason back because the way they liked him. But as you mentioned, you know, it was, uh, as you mentioned, you got to look at things the way opponents look at, at players, opponents look at coaches, opponents look at, at, at those things like that, not really how you look at it. And, uh, you know, I don't think anyone in the NFC East was really scared to see Jason Garrett come there or anyone in football really is particularly scared to see Jason Garrett come there. And you have to look at that as well. When you look at players or oh, they sign that quarterback. Okay, cool. You know, playing the Chicago bears. Oh, Andy Dalton's playing. We're good. Oh man. Justin Fields is playing. We got a little bit of worry now. So I think the familiarity with Jason Garrett was the main reason why he was back there. Um, it's interesting with the coaching staff, they went new, we went old. Sometimes it feels like, you know, coaching staffs can get in their own way where they're, you know, got the smartest man in the room type mentality. How do you, how do you juxtapose that in the front office where you may have a certain plan, right? And, and, you, and you get players and then all of a sudden the coaching staff is like, eh, it's, it's, a, it's a tough marriage how that works. Um, how do you see that working so far with New York? Because I was surprised. I'm also curious, like with Kadarius Tony, there's a lot of fan uh, guys that do this, that, you know, they have numbers, like there's an age at which a, a guy's supposed to break out. He was late on that. I'm curious how scouts actually see that and those numbers. So you know, to, for the first part with coaching and scouting, the best stats I've been on is where everybody's in one accord. Let's say you draft a player and they know these are his certain skills. All right, and the coaching staff knows to use that player for their, their certain skills. Uh, the worst situation is where coaches get to, well, this is the way I've done it. This is the way I've always done it. And they don't want to innovate. They don't want to progress. They don't want to look forward with what's going on with football, with what's going on with players and how to use the modern players. You, you've seen this a lot over the last five, ten years where how college is kind of dictating the way the NFL plays. And the teams that were resistant to kind of accept that and accept those sort of players and accept those sort of innovations kind of got left behind. So the best teams are the ones that look at what's going on and, and innovate, not just say, well, this is the way we've always done it, so we're just going to keep doing it like this. Uh, you know, in, in a situation with numbers and Kandarius, Tony, he, he, you know, he's the one that, you know, coming into Florida, kind of a late bloomer. And, uh, you know, you, you have to use him for his strength. And that's just kind of a versatile guy. That's what he did at Florida. 
but then you get him in the first game this 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 last week with Denver, and you know he got in the game. You're going to use him as a gadget play because you know he was hurt all week. It's like we're not going to put this guy in and, and have him run a go route. So you you have to match you know the, the talent with what you see on the field with numbers with the coaching staff, and it really is a puzzle that everybody the communication that you all have to work together to bring about the best talent and maximize the talent that you have. And if there's some resistance, if there's some animosity, if there's some infighting about that, it's not going to work. No similarity between the two teams. Both teams signed D-tackles to fairly big contracts. Leonard Williams, bigger than Jonathan Allen's. Uh, I'm curious from just a, a player and team building exercise, is it still wise to pay D tackles $20 million? I mean, because I, I think we saw this on Sunday, right? I mean, Washington has put together one of the best D lines in the league. The, the new short passing game can all but eliminate that. So I'm curious from a team building standpoint, it used to be from the lines out. Is it still that way? I think it still is. And the, the, the problem is, you know, you prioritize certain positions, all right? You got quarterback and, and pass rushers for me, and mostly outside pass rushers. Now, the Aaron Donald effect, this is what's going on with these DTs where, all right, well, the DT can affect the inside. And he can, well, there's only one Aaron Donald. And then who else you got? Chris Jones. Okay, well, what he does is unique as well. And then after that, where everybody's trying to – to say, let's pay these guys because you got them, but do they really affect the quarterback? If, you, if he's a two-down run stopper and he gets one or two sacks a year, to me, that's not worth the value of paying a, a, a DT like that. Now, if he's wrecking havoc in there, he's getting sacks, then you definitely should do that. And so you have to, as a staff, again, this is all about the communication and it's what your, your cat guy comes into play and knowing the contracts and all right, and, and Washington's going to have some other guys coming up here, you know, with pain and, and, and Chase is coming up and sweat where they're going to have to pay them. So I would have thought they would have prioritized all those guys and maybe a Jonathan Allen who I don't see as an elite sort of player or particularly pass rusher to say, what is it about him, why we're going to pay him big time, top of the market money. And, you know, time will tell if he de develops into that. I don't know this is a year three or four years for him now, so I don't know if he's going to be that, but Whatever they did to evaluate Jonathan Allen, they felt that he was worth that top-of-the-market money. The Giants kind of were stuck because they traded for Leonard Williams and they had to make it right, and he had a really good year last year as far as the stats. But now we're going to see if he continues that impact after he gets paid. It's Opposition Wednesday. We are talking to Mark Ross from the NFL Network. It sounds like Barkley is going to go on Thursday. Does that surprise you on short rest this early in the season that they'd be putting them out for a back-to-back, -back, if you will? Without, without a doubt. I thought for sure after the first game that they would give him a rest on his Thursday night. If it was a regular week, I think there might be a chance. But I, I think with, with such short notice, good, good players on a regular week, you know, in this kind of week, your healthy players, let me say, on a short week, have a hard time kind of making it to the game. You kind of just don't do anything for three days, whereas a typical week you have a couple of hard days of practice. So him coming off that knee injury, especially how cautious they were with him in the offseason, how cautious they were in, tr in training camp and preseason games, I thought for sure he would not have played in this game. All indications are that he's going to play. Just seeing him in the first game, he does not look to have the same explosiveness. He does not look to have the same balance. His legs just do not seem to be up under him well. So I would have thought for sure they would have played him. So this is not played him. So this is definitely a surprise that he will. 
Uh, Mark, we've been running this uh, confidence game on Opposition Wednesdays to try to figure out who's got the advantage without, you know, putting our feelings into it too much. So let's do this. Who do you have more confidence with on Sunday, Saquon Barkley or Antonio Gibson? Oh, Antonio Gibson, for sure. Because, you know, he ripped off some big plays there in the game. You, you saw what he could do. Uh, you know, much, much more uh, more healthy than what Saquon looks right now. You know, Sa- Saquon kind of looked very – he just didn't look – he just didn't show the same explosive where Gibson and watching the film on him and uh, his big plays that he had, he still had some quickness, some burst, some juice to him. So I, I would definitely go that route. Amazing he's really still just learning to be a running back uh, after switching from yeah. receiver. They've got a type for sure, and they stick to it. Uh, Mark, who do you have more confidence in the Washington re- uh, receiving offensive weapons or the secondary of the Giants? Well, I'm, I'm going, I'm always going receiver. I was a former receiver. And uh, so, but I'm always going receiver. Terry McLaurin, I, I've seen where, you know, great receivers can beat any DB. Average receivers can beat a great DB, but it's rare that a, a great uh, corner can just shut anybody down. That's just not the, the nature of that position, the nature of receiver versus DB. And, and you, you know, just as far as Terry McLaurin, if, if they try to stick James Bradbury on him one-on-one, you know, he'll, I, I think he'll, he'll have a, a pretty good time of it. Terry will. Uh, Logan Thomas is going to be a, a hard to handle if you're putting him in that receiver group, which I am. So I think with those two matchups, uh, you, you know, Logan Thomas, not the same sort of, impact is Darren Waller not that good but could have some that effect if they match him up and scheme him into that so if you just put those two guys I don't think the Giants really have anybody that could kind of match up with those guys one-on-one they like to play tons and tons of like mix and match zone coverages so it'll be incumbent on on Heineke to be able to to, to recognize uh, those coverages and get the ball to the right guy very quickly in those open spaces they will not have somebody following McLaurin right Following the, the corner, yeah, do they do the they star do they star the corner on, on the number one receiver there in, in New York? Sometimes you know, last year with James Bradbury, they did some of that. In the, this game one, they did not. So I'm not sure if they'll kind of get back to some of that. But at times they matched him up. At times they just kind of played him towards the, the left hand side. They've got a Dory Jackson there now as well. So it, it'll and they they like to kind of go week to week depending on how they match things up. So I would be ready for anything. And I had thought we could do offense versus defensive lines, but it seems like both defensive lines are better than the current offensive lines. So I thought we could wrap with this. Which coaching staff do you have more confidence in? Yeah, you know, just going offense-defensive line. I think that, you know, the Washington, you guys are kind of mad down there about the defense last week, but despite how bad they, they played, particularly on third, not bad how bad they played, but lack of impact they had as far as the sack numbers and the third downs was, was not good in letting the Chargers sustain those drives. I and mean, they were playing an outstanding young quarterback, outstanding offensive line with a lot of playmakers. And, and, yeah, and, you know, you're not getting that this week playing this Giants team. And they held them to 20 points. You go into a game, despite how bad they were, as you guys thought they were, it's 20 points. And they're obviously last year Washington was – Fourth in the whole entire league with a 20.6 points per game average against with their defense. So you you let a team score 20, you should win the game. Now their offense wasn't wasn't up to par uh, with that. But that being said, 
I got to go Ron Rivera with, I have worked with Ron in, in Philly for five, six years. So, you know, Ron's done it. He's been there as long as he can see and recognize what he has there and the deficiencies that, that are going on with his team and how to overcome that. He's been there, done that. Whereas Joe judge is still kind of learning and feeling out his way. Uh, he had a huge mistake last week calling a timeout after the touchdown to try to challenge a play. So he's still kind of learning on the fly. So I got to go 100% go with my former Eagles uh, co-worker there, Ron Rivera, and his staff. Mark, it is the, uh, the premiere of Thursday Night Football on ESPN this Thursday. What do you see the score looking like? I will go. I'll go 20 to 10 in favor of the Washington football team. Another barn burner. They'll <laughs> yeah, expect a lot of points. <laughs> yeah. Good job. Mark, I appreciate your time. It's uh, at Mark Ross on Twitter, uh, and you can find him all over the NFL Network. I really appreciate your time today. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you.